Good morning. My name is Ernie Wagoner. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, if I haven't had the privilege to meet you yet, would love to do so before you head on out of here. Uh, I got my friends uh, Josh and Abby Watkins. They're going to be reading our Advent reading this morning out of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8 and following. Is it green? Try it again. Try it again. You'll get it. I thought I set you up. I might have screwed you up. I, th- I, I told you it wasn't on, then I turned it on. I, just, I screwed you up. My bad. Hey, we have, uh, we have Josh and Abby Watkins going to be reading the Advent reading from Luke chapter 2, starting verse 8. Take 2, action. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. Jesus is the light of the world. I give thanks this morning. Thank you guys for reading. Um, two things I just wanted to mention to you guys. Um, one is if you uh, weren't here last week and you didn't get one of these brochures, we provide these uh, each year, a year end, so that you can have a time of reflection and looking back on what God's doing as well as uh, what we're praying into for this upcoming year. So if you didn't grab one, we're going to have some in the foyer on your way out. We'd love for you to grab one. This would be our gift to you just to make sure you can read through. It's a powerful tool of reflection and even ways to consider um, where the Lord's leading us this next year. So that's the first thing. Second thing, uh, after I mentioned this last week in more uh, detail, but just as a quick overview after November's giving, our, our debt is now down to $32,000, and our, we're looking to move through December and hoping that we come out on the other side being able to pay off the remainder of the, our debt that we can enter into January uh, being debt-free. So excited about that uh, and the way that you, if you desire or want to give towards Sojourn, towards, to Sojourn before the end of this year, it would be sojournonline.org slash uh, giving, and uh, it, it will guide you from there. And if you have questions, Brian Worsley, our board chair, related to our budget or anything, he's in the middle on your left, the guy right there. So hopefully that's really helpful. Good. Let's begin here. Uh, if you, uh, as you intro, uh, the, if you, if you watch Star Wars, at the beginning of Star Wars is this crawl or this scroll that begins to happen. That, that happens in a minute. That happens in a minute. Um, just kidding. Uh, okay, good. Uh, in the intro scroll of the space movies, Star Wars, at the beginning, at the very beginning of the movie, it says, a long, long, uh, a long, long, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Some of you might even have that tattooed on you. Um, but it clarifies the tone and the setting of the fantasy you're about to watch. Long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. My boys and I watched this series of movies last summer and it was fantastic. And it provides wonder, it evokes imagination. It sets the stage for what to expect as you enter into these movies that you're about 
to watch these movies uh, in the Star Wars series. So when you meet Chewbacca, or you meet Yoda, or R2-D2, or Jabba the Hutt, it makes sense a bit more. It's not as wild, because you know it was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away that these are occurring, and in a galaxy far away, sure, there'd be a guy named Jabba the Hutt. Sure, there'd be a guy named R2-D2. And so it helps bring clarity, and it sets the stage as you watch these movies. In the Gospel of John, we find similar language in in his own intro of his gospel. In the beginning, he says, was the, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He says, all things came into being through him, and then he follows a few verses later, and he says, the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. See, similar but different. He's laying out this story for us, but that story isn't far, far away. It isn't in a galaxy far away. No, the story is here. The story is right before us. It's not something far away, but it's a story that's intimately close to our own world. See, the story of the gospel is designed to awaken us to our true north. It's designed to awaken things within us. It's designed to awaken marvel and wonder to be filled with wonder and astonishment at who God is and what he's done for us. And so this morning, I want to marvel with you at this simple story that we hear year after year. I want to marvel at what it says about God, and I want to marvel at one of the ways it says, uh, what it says about us and our condition. There's lots to marvel about the Christmas story. And so we're in a teaching series in the Gospel of John, and, and so we've continued our Advent series through John 12, and 13. And as we move into this morning, we're actually going to go back to John 1 and revisit some verses that we started out with in the series and those that are extremely impactful for us as we navigate through this Advent season. So I want to begin in John 1, and we're going to see that the Apostle John invites us to marvel. And we see it in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In the beginning, it says, was the Word, paralleling Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John's using similar language as he creates this gospel narrative for us. See, as Genesis begins with creation, John refers to creation, reminding the reader of the Old Testament, the creation narrative. It's similar to the language a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. See, in this story, the world is not far away again, but it's here. The setting for this story is the one that the the subject of the story is this one who created, and the setting is the world that we find ourselves in. See, all things within this world were created through this one. Everything that exists, the stars, the moon, the earth, everything within was created through him. He is the creator, this one, in this opening scroll of John one. He's the creator. He's not created. He's the sovereign. He's not a minion. He is the ruler and creator of all things. So what does John say about this one? 
He inspires belief. And even a step further, he inspires wonder by saying this in John 1.14. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this one became flesh, and this one, he dwelt among us. John claims that the word that was in the beginning, who created all things, has now taken on flesh. He's now dwelt among us. In this sphere of history, in this sphere of time, and in this sphere of space, he became flesh. He became human. He became like one of us. He took on human form. It speaks to the condescension that we talked about in John 13 in the, la- in the chapter we looked at last week when he washed his disciples' feet, which was just a fruit of his nature in bowing low to rescue us. He took on human appearance and he became like us. A long time ago, in a, far, uh, in a galaxy far, far away, in other words, it's the, in our time, in the scripture, it's the, the, the word became flesh. A long, long time ago, the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. This word dwelt, this phrase dwelt, is a play on words referencing Moses. It's pointing back to Exodus. We had referenced this a few months ago, but after the slavery of the Egyptians in Egypt, there were plagues that were sent to the Egyptians, and God delivered his people after 10 commandments. After 400 years of tyranny, he taught his people how to be human within these Ten Commandments. And what we find in the next section of Exodus, tucked into this conversation that uh, Yahweh has with Moses, we read in Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 18. We pick up and it says this, 33:18. it says, Moses said, please, Show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place By me, where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And so there's this conversation that Moses has with Yahweh. He says, show me your glory, and Yahweh says, no, 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 you can't. No man can see my face and live, but I will tuck you away, and my goodness will pass before you. And then it follows in uh, the next chapter in verse 5. It says, Exodus 34, 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a, a God gracious, uh, sorry, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who... Who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children on the third and fourth generation? And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. In that moment, God dwelt with Moses. Again, a play on words in John 1. He dwelt 
with Moses and his goodness passed before him and Moses bowed and worshiped. And so when John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's using the same language that was used in the Exodus story. The difference is that he didn't just cover the eyes of humanity and pass in front of him. No, he became flesh and dwelt among us. See, my friends, what Moses didn't see or experience, we have seen fully and completely in the face of Jesus. The one who was with God and was God, he donned our humanity to rescue and redeem us from sin and from death. God has made himself known finally and completely in this historical man named Jesus. So there's no need to wonder who God is, what he's like, what his character's like, what his nature is like. We simply look to Jesus and we can see fully and completely and entirely who he is and what he's like. A long, long time ago, God became flesh and dwelt among us. Though we had yet to see God, God has made him known. God has revealed himself to us. See, this story compels us to wonder how and why and what is going on? It's here that we want to just try to blow the dust off familiarity. You know, familiarity is that subtle foe that steals from us. We're familiar with this word familiarity. It stunts relationships, right? Familiarity in a marriage. If you have familiarity within a marriage it stunts relationship. It allows you to begin to think, I already know what you think, so I'm not going to pursue you. I already know where you're coming from. I already know your perspective. I already know what you're going to say, and so I'm not going to be curious. I'm not going to pursue because I already know. I'm familiar with how you respond to these moments, so I'm simply going to just let you be because I already know who you are. Familiarity can stunt a relationship, and it ultimately keeps us from wonder. Familiarity would do the same in the story of the gospel. This reality that we can become so familiar with the text, we can become so familiar with what happens that we forget that it's designed to evoke wonder within our hearts. I mentioned for the second week in a row, CeeLo Green. Last week, talked about his rendition of Mary, Did You Know? And talked to some people this last week who said that they listened to that and didn't cry. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know how you didn't cry. Um, but again, it reminds us of the a long, long time ago, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This, these words are so profound. He didn't write this, but his rendition is pretty stellar. Uh, it says this, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new. This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. It goes on and says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? Again, this isn't another galaxy far away. This is our world, the world we work in, the world we raise our kids in, the world we awake in and sleep in each day, the world we laugh in, the world we weep in. This world is the world he entered, this world that experiences aches and pains, sickness 
and sorrow, death and cancer, loss and betrayal, love and hate. The word became flesh and dwelt among this world. In this world, he came not to destroy it. He came to restore it. He so humbly entered into our world to rescue it. And it's within this story that we're invited implicitly through the gospel writer to wonder, to pull our, ourselves out of familiarity and begin to wonder, the word would become flesh and dwell among us? Why? How? What on earth is happening here? John isn't the only one who invites us to marvel. Luke's gospel explicitly references this invitation to wonder, which leads to the second thought I want to bring to you, which is Mary's invitation to, for us to marvel. It's in this Advent reading that we just read a few minutes ago from the Watkins family that we read of this, these third, shifting, third shifter shepherds who are uh, out in a field shepherding these sheep and these angels show up. Glory shines around, they hear, behold, we bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today there's a sign, a son wrapped in swaddling cloth, a child is born. The angels sang glory to God in the highest on earth, peace. Becomes familiar. Those phrases, it's, it's cute. It reminds us of Linus, right? And Charlie Brown. Like your voice, you can hear his voice in the back of your mind when you read this text, and it can lose the wonder and it can lose the awe and the reality that God would do what he did. For us, it's shocking. And then they go and they find this child. And what's interesting about Luke chapter 2, we might have noticed it, we might not have, but there are four times in Luke 2 where there's these reminders of how people are responding to the incarnation of Jesus. And it explicitly invites us into the same realities. Let's read in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 18, it says this, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her hearts. Luke 2.33, we fast forward a little bit, and it says, and his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then finally in Luke 2.51, it says, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. See, this story, it beckons us to curiously look in, to not become too familiar, that we already know the story, so we don't spend time here, because we already know what's going to happen, but it invites us to blow the dust off familiarity and to behold again. And as we look closely, we see Mary, not familiar, but in Wonder and awe, treasuring what God has just done. It's the perspective of Mary that keeps us from getting too comfortable from knowing the story because her response is that it's staggering, it's beautiful, it's unbelievable. I like what J.I. Packer, uh, his take on this, he says the really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was 
God made man. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. See, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is the way Star Wars begins. But the gospel is like this. A long time ago in our own land, God came to rescue us. So the first time you hear this story, it feels magical. The creator of the universe, the ever-expanding universe, that we live on this little rock and just one of millions of galaxies, that he would enter into our story and become flesh. Friends, he's the one that we only could have dreamed of. It's our job to fight against familiarity. The nativity story is designed to compel us to wonder in that way. It's, it's this story that we are seeking to stir ourselves with, to reset our lives upon. See, when we begin to really fight against familiarity, we begin to imagine this story, which is our story, which is the story of God that we find ourselves in. I love the picture that Paul gives us in Colossians chapter 1. Within Colossians, we find that Paul's imprisoned. We find that he's imprisoned because of the gospel of Jesus. And he writes to this church in Colossae. And after his greeting, he writes a poem to encourage these people that he's writing to, to draw on the power of Jesus, to draw on the story of Jesus, to pull themselves out of their own self-centric focus of themselves and to be caught up into something more beautiful and greater. And so he says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. And he says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, though chained, and Paul was chained in this moment, he is inviting the ones who read this, the ones who pray this, to imagine a different world than the one they feel all around them to imagine a more complete perspective of what God is doing in the earth, imagining a world where Jesus rules and rescues, a world where a new sort of wisdom is unveiled, a world where there's an alternative way for humans to exist, a world where Jesus is reigning and ruling over our lives and over the world's. See, Paul wants people to think, not with principles, not with rules, not with just a moral compass, but he wants us to be caught up with the story of God, to be reminded that you're a part of something so much greater than just trying to get a check next month, that you're actually invited into something that God is at work, that he is not finished, he is a part of this redemption story, he is the author and the perfecter of it, and we're invited into it. See, he knows that his readers like us can get caught up in the pressures of pagan rulers. And we can feel hopeless within this story. 
It's hearing other stories of injustice or other stories of death or other stories of war, and it can just weigh our hearts down. Paul says, no, 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 friends. You might feel despair. You might feel like darkness is winning. And so he poetically proclaims a life-shaking message. And the message is clear and to the point that by him, Jesus, all things were created. He holds it all together. He holds darkness and light together. He is redeeming all things. He's shaking his fist at darkness. He's saying, you do not have the final say. He's pulling himself out of the chains that he's feeling, and he's calling himself into something more grand and beautiful. He's invoking and celebrating the hero that all things will submit to King Jesus, that that we might see with our naked eye that there's an allegiance to Caesar or allegiance to local officials or bullying magistrates or threatening officials or injustice and pain, yet he invites us to see the world that Jesus has created and the world that Jesus is redeeming. And he invites us by faith to remember that there's something much more beautiful happening than what the eye can see. See, this story that we read in this incarnation is a life-altering story, and it evokes wonder within us. So friends, don't let the enlightenment, don't let modernity, don't let secularism steal your joy of wonder. We were made to wonder, and wonder ultimately finds its place in Jesus. And the story, it becomes personal, that God would so love the world that he would engage the world to redeem the world, he would become flesh, which leads to my third thought, which is this. Do we find ourselves marveling at this story and what it does within us? See, within the story, we can marvel at God, who he is, what he's like, that he would show up on the scene and do what he did and become flesh. A long, long time ago, Jesus came to rescue you. He came to restore the mess of this world, and he came to heal you. There's much to marvel about the Christmas story, but I want to end here. I want to consider a broken piece of pottery. I heard recently about a Japanese practice called uh, kentusugi. Kentusugi, I think it is. I think, is that what it is? Wesley, where are you? Meiji Wesley, why aren't you here? Um, This idea is that we, we oftentimes take pieces of pottery or glass and we throw them away, right? Like, the, you're cleaning the dishes and you just squeeze a little too hard and all of a sudden it's like, daggummit, and you throw it in the trash. But this form of art, kintusugi, is this idea of when pottery is broken, you lace it with gold to repair it and restore it. You can't put it back perfectly the way it was, but you make it into this beautiful piece of art that is designed to provoke and designed to point to the brokenness within the pottery. It's not designed to ignore it, but designed to surface it. See, when our lives are broken like pottery, we can begin to wonder, is there anything God can do with me? Is there anything that God can do through me? 
Am I too far gone? Am I worthless? Am I discarded? And we got to say, hold up. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He did not leave you to your own vices in this world. He didn't show up to a galaxy far, far away. He entered into our story and our time and our history and our space to heal and redeem and restore. And my friends, he's not finished with you. He is at work in real time. A long, long time ago, God became flesh and dwelt among us. So where you may have said, am I too broken to be repaired? I would say there's nothing too broken beyond the repair of Jesus. There's nothing where his grace can't outrun and heal and restore and redeem and resurrect. Friends, we're invited to wonder. We're invited to marvel. We're invited to wonder at what God would do and who he is. And we're invited to wonder at how he would pursue us to such depths he would go and evoke something within us. You may feel the need to embrace that you are too far gone, defining yourself by your sin or your past or your whatever. You may feel the need to accept the depth of your brokenness and let that define you. But friends, we have good news. A long, long time ago, God became flesh. Jesus came. He pursued chased down. He didn't give up on us. Or you might have given up on yourself. Or your parents might have given up on you. Or somebody else in this world might have given up on you. He didn't. And he entered into our world. And he came to rescue. He did come. And he will come again. You know, we get a lot of messages about life. How to understand it. And it's this story of Jesus that anchors us. It recalibrates us. And we might feel like we're a mess but he's stable. We can trust him with our lives. We can put our hope in him. Our circumstances might be screaming at us something else. But man, we cling to this story. The word became flesh. It dwelt among us a long, long time ago, my friends. The word became flesh. He entered into our story to rescue and redeem. And the good news is he's not done. He's at work now and he will come again to make all things new. And it's this that evokes wonder. It's this that evokes treasuring and marveling that God wouldn't quit on us. That's the Christmas story. That's the reminder to us, to us, and it's designed to awaken something beautiful within. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And we just agree with the song that was sang, sung earlier, all the songs. Oh, come, let us adore him. We adore your work and our lives. By grace, you've come to rescue. Dwelt among us. We give you thanks for what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do. We thank you for this story we're a part of, and I pray that you would invite us into it. You'd pull us out of the details of our circumstances, and you'd remind us that we're that you're at work even through the valley of the shadow of death. You're with us. You pull us through. You'll never betray us. You're with us. And we, Father, I ask you, just give us the strength to hold fast, to trust you in the midst of the good and the bad.
and hard and easy. Lord, we give you thanks that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Stir our hearts to believe again, to hope again, to trust again. In Jesus' name, amen.